My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they taught me how to shoot with a steady hand. I guess that's something you don't understand. Welcome to another episode with All American Wing Shooting. We have such a special friend. Um, we both connected through an amazing organization that starts probably more wing shooters than um, any other place that I've found. And it's how she kind of got her start. And we just had such a passion for the youth and wing shooting. So welcome, Marissa Jensen, to the podcast today. Thank you so much, Anna. It's so good to see you and to be here. I'm so excited. I am too. We've got so much to catch up on um, because with COVID, I kind of took a little break and went back to tournament hunting and wasn't really plugged into the organizations like I was when we were seeing each other all the time and having events. So I know that you've been super busy through COVID um, because last I saw you, um, JC was on the NYLC, which is um, for all you guys that aren't familiar with all these acronyms. Um, it's the youth organization. It's a board of elected youth across the country, about 20 kids. And they are given, was it $100,000? They, they are given a large sum of money from Midway USA to invest in conservation and build a program. And they do all types of conservation and leadership training um, through the Uplands and PF and QF. Uh, support them and so my oldest daughter was fortunate enough to get to be on that and so she was one of your kids your first year she was yeah I I still just think about her all the time and I I mean I want to know how she's doing where she's okay, at, well, I'll tell she's you all about it. <laughs> okay so for all you guys this is um Marissa okay let me get this right you started as a biologist in Nebraska uh, outreach and communications coordinator in Nebraska. Okay. Yes. So then you went from a state level to the same thing with the educational and outreach manager for the nation, right? So you are in charge of the NYLC, the youth, and then something that we both um, kind of helped launch and was part of um, getting off the ground was the Women on the Wing, which is a huge organization that's taken off like wildfire. So um, that's what she does. She's the go-to person for all the youth events um, and outreach and education and ladies for Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever. Along with, I will say not all the youth events. So I do I do oversee our National Youth Leadership Council and then our um, Journey to Conservation Careers, which is a brand new, brand new. Uh, program. And then I have um, two wonderful colleagues. So Colby Kerber is our Hunting Heritage Program Manager. He works with R3, so Recruit, Retain, Reactivate um, across the country with our staff and volunteers. And that's everything from youth mentor hunts to adult learn to hunt events. And then Anna Swirsek is our Habitat Education Program Manager. Um, so she oversees pollinator habitat projects with kids and adults. Um, we've got a milkweed in the classroom program for schools, um, which wow. is just incredible getting habitat in schools and teachers' hands to help provide education for all those kids. Um, so we've got lots of, lots of really awesome things going on across the country. And I just, I don't know how to get the word out about the education elements that you guys have that are really phenomenal, like just hard to even wrap your head around, except for the fact that I had a kid that went through it and it was so impactful. I mean, I would probably say one of the best networkers for your organization is Steve Schaefer, which is how we met. Like he's the one that got me involved and in, in the one that encouraged JC that it would be a good fit for her. Cause we didn't know, you know, sure. how things worked. Um, so she just was like, okay, well, I trust him, so I'm just going to go for it. Literally, you're going to be so shocked. The kid right now is spending their summer in D.C., um, interning with CSF oh and working on policy and conservation. And, and it's all because of that family that nurtured her and um, just exposed these kids. And she just spent the weekend with Emma, who was also on the NYLC. And she's, a, you know, a New England kid. And it was super cool because she wasn't a shotgunner. And they were like BFFs on the board. And um, so 
Emma came to me and she was like, I think I want to shoot. And so it was like her senior year. She started shooting. She ended up with a scholarship. So she's shooting in college. And so they posted and they're like, thank you, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever for this great friendship. And you guys do that. You put people together that are like-minded and you create relationships that are nationwide. And, and it even is for the kids. You know, it's not just an adult group. So... I've seen the benefits of um, of your programs. I was fortunate enough to be the, the first Women on the Wing speaker, and I'll never forget that. There was so much pressure, and everybody wanted that program <laughs> to work so much. And it's like, man, how do, I, how do I stand here and mentor women when I never had a female mentor? Sure. And when we started, which you, your story is phenomenal because – You've really gone through every single phase of what PFNQF stands for. So I I don't want you to hold back on that. Um, <laughs> but that was the most important thing to me is to say, like, if it hadn't have been for all those men through PFNQF that just guided me and gave me like a little bit of here and a little bit there, and you can probably testify as the same thing with you, I would not have this life that I have. And yeah, they were strangers, it, you know? <laughs> There's so many remarkable people within the organization. And, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of community and how can we build more of that conservation community, whether it's kids, whether it's women, whether it's adults, wh- whoever it is, you know, just providing a space for somebody to feel welcome, to be a part of this, this awesome group of individuals, like, you know, like-minded, like you said, mm-hmm. um, who all have that common goal of, you know, enjoying these wild places and wanting to protect them so that future generations can enjoy them as well. Um, so it's just really cool to be a part of that. I know. And I'll never forget because I use this line all the time and I used it there. And I think you can totally testify to this. Um, I told the women, I'm like, don't sit back and just wait on a ladies hunt, you know, like go with the men and then celebrate the times that you get to hunt with your with your chick friends. Yeah. Right. Because so many women are like, oh, I just want to get involved with the ladies thing. But I and you both, we can sit here and say, like, the guys are awesome and they're patient and and they were encouraging. And um, I've, I've said this, I think, multiple times today, but Patricia, Patricia Kaiser is probably like one of the best ones. No, nobody's going to hold her back or keep her out of the field, whether it's <laughs> women or the men, you know, she's going to lead the pack. And that's another PFQF girl. And so I just, I've just really appreciated the friendships because that organization embraced me when I felt like I didn't know anything. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I, you know, we, everybody, we launched, um, and just finished up this last February, um, but we did a year long content series called, um, path to the uplands. And it was kind of celebrating how everybody has their own unique path. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's because of the bird dogs, whether it's because of food, whether it's because of the exercise, you know, or um, the, you know, activity going from shooting sports to hunting, like we all have different reasons and we all have different ways of getting there. Right. It's so fun to hear all the different paths and all the different stories. Okay. So tell us yours because you, you have a great story. Yeah. It's, um, I always feel a little embarrassed when I say it because, you know, I did, I did not grow up hunting and I was definitely not um a hunting uh, advocate no <laughs> I was trying to think of how to say it you know, I know it was like how anti- in the world is um is Anna V so close with this chick with this past right because I'm I was raised in a family it was like hardcore hunting like yeah we don't worry about trophies or anything we're filling the freezer so you just shoot it and eat it you know and so then I meet you and I'm like this chick's in charge of all these kids that are, they can't wait to go shoot birds and all this yep. stuff. I'm like, oh my God, I hope that um, they don't scare her off. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, no. You know, if anything, I think it gives me a really unique perspective when we're looking at how to reach people who aren't in that traditional, um, you know, scenario where they grow up around hunting. And, you know, I lived in the Omaha, Nebraska. So it's the largest city in Nebraska. Um, you know, it just was not connected to any hunting at all. And, you know, but I always, I was always involved in, in dog training. I was a vet tech for 10 years and I did, um, search and rec- rescue training with canines, um, did a little bit of police work with canines. And so really it was a combination of a love for, um, wild places. I've always been very outdoorsy, um, 
and a love for bird dogs and mm-hmm. not bird dogs, just working dogs in general. Yeah. And wanting to, you know, just go out and bring food home to the table. I mean, it was just all of the things and they all happened in, you know, different periods, but they all just all of a sudden kind of locked into place and bird hunting was a hundred percent. I've done other, you know, I've turkey hunted and I love turkey hunting, I've waterfall hunted. It's amazing, but it's, it's the uplands that, uh, that call to me every year. Well, when was that moment when you said, holy smokes, I just became a hunter, like yeah. my entire past and everything that, you know, my belief system literally just changed. And it's like a switch flip, right? It was like an emotional thing. What, what was that moment for you? So a couple of different things. I think don't first, cry on me. I'll no, cry. I, will, I, will. <laughs> I think the first, um, the first moment I decided to hunt, uh, you know, I was just sitting and talking with a friend and I wish I knew what changed, right? Because that's the, that's the thing that we're all looking for when we're trying to recruit new hunters is, mm-hmm. you know, how can we, how can we encourage you to try this? And really, I think, you know, kind of how I explain it to people is I think I just listened differently instead of just um, hearing someone and not actually absorbing what they were talking about. I really actually sat down, tried to, you know, remove any bias or barrier or whatever it was and actually listen. And I was like, okay, actually this, this sounds like something I might enjoy. I'll try it. Um, but I really, I really struggled to find, uh, anyone to take me. It was a, a challenge for me to, Oh my gosh. I really... wish I would have known. <laughs> yeah. um, I would have loved to have had a, somebody help me drive across yes, the country. Yeah. Yes. You could have, <laughs> you could have joined me anytime. I would have loved that. Um, you know, but so I, I do have a cousin who lives uh, about three hours away and um, ended up going on a turkey hunt. And I think the moment, the moment that I knew that I, oh, I don't know, it's probably a combination of when that bird started coming into the call was just, I mean, I get my hair raises on my arm. I get goosebumps just when I think any, oh. anytime you get a Tom coming into your call, if you haven't turkey hunted, it's just, there's nothing like it. Um, but then, you know, after, after shooting that first bird and just like, that moment of like, holy smokes. And then, you know, bringing it home and cooking it for the entire family. And, but it was, it was so cute. Um, you know, my son, um, who is almost 13 now, which is crazy, but I went on my first hunt when I was 30. And so he did not grow up in a hunting home either because I, I wasn't hunting, um, right away. And I remember when I got home from that hunt, he was so upset with me for shooting this bird <laughs> and he was so convinced that I wasn't going to be successful that he had a little stuffed animal turkey to make me feel better that I no <laughs> way. but but since then you know that day he ate that turkey he loved it yes. and he loves wild game every single um you know time I, I bring something home he absolutely loves it he actually critiques me on my cooking skills i that. love <laughs> this okay so you've got to turn him on to the provider life yes. on instagram okay. it's all wild game um rubs and seasonings and cooking yes. videos and everything he will love that so the provider <laughs> life yeah 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 so I'm so interested in this because I was raised in like a hardcore hunting family. I mean, my grandmother in her 80s, I just took her two years ago. Um, she was 83, shot a deer. Like SCI hosted a hunt for her. She wanted to shoot a deer one more time with her gun that my grandpa got her when they were 20. Um, and so I don't know any different. Like it's very hard for me to identify with your story but I can, I'm like your biggest cheerleader celebrating you finding this lifestyle. And I didn't, I I've took it for granted for so long because yeah. it's just what we did. We shot guns as a family, target shooting or whatever. And we were all so competitive. So it was so much fun. You know, it was just trash talking to everybody, you know, yeah. and granny's right there in the middle of it. But, um, so I, I know that there's got to be more hunters like me that don't have the patience or the understanding of how to communicate with people that don't have appreciation for what what I feel is like the all-american hunting heart yeah no it's it's 
It's challenging. And I think it's sometimes it's especially hard to reach people like the person I used to be, uh, you know, because it's just unless somebody's willing to listen without, you know, any previous, you know, thought that they have, it's, it's really hard to reach those people. One of the things that I do is, you know, I have a lot of friends who don't hunt in the Omaha area who are very outdoorsy. They like to hike, they like to camp, things like that. Um, so I've had some friends that just go walk with me and, you know, they don't want to carry a gun, but they like to, they like to hike. And so they go mm -hmm. with me and they start to understand like, oh, this is amazing. And, uh, you know, oh, do you want to, do you have a turkey that I can have for Thanksgiving? And next thing you know, they're asking, you teach me how to shoot. And sometimes I think it's just getting people out there and seeing what exactly it is, because I don't think that the, what their vision is matches what reality is uh, do um, we really look barbaric <laughs> like, do, does my instagram look that intimidating i really don't think that my no. pictures say that you know but i have a hard time because um and and i have like a crazy story because my dad got shot with a 30-06 in the head right here in january 1st of 84 he lived, he was sitting in a deer stand, he was hunting, he has paralysis on his right side, like he he had to go through a lot of healing. But even though he had this awful, tragic accident hunting that he still doesn't know who shot him, because um, he was in his deer stand and it was just a stray bullet, he never stopped hunting. He, you know, like my family never walked away from something that could have been devastating to our family. And so for me, I'm like, I really can't understand how somebody couldn't do it. And then going into instruction and kids coaching and the things that I've done, I've never seen, because I've played sports too. And you can identify with this, like the confidence that comes from shooting sports, no matter what kind of gun you're shooting or, or just hunting and being in the outdoors, the confidence that comes from that is unlike anything else. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's amazing. And there's a lot of responsibility to it too, right? Like, and that's, I think what's really neat, especially for kids growing up is just that level of responsibility that they're learning at a very young age. Um, it's getting them outside. I, that, I mean, that's important for anybody anymore. Um, you know, it's just pulling away the screen and get people outside and into nature um, and reconnected with things, I think is so important, it, even more important now than in years before, just because it's uh, it gets harder and harder to pull people out of, um, the, the routines and the ruts that we get in in the tech world. Yeah. So tell me this, how has your parenting changed since you became a hunter? Um, that's a good question. You know, I don't know if it's really changed a whole lot. Um, you know, we, we would always camp and hike and fish and do all of that. Uh, except I would say that, you know, our, um, probably just the, the food in general. Um, I was never a cook. I, was a terrible cook. I <laughs> not my thing. And then um, for me, when I have game, you know, I'm I'm using all of it. I'm not wasting any of it. And I hate to say that because it makes me sound like a wasteful person before. But I didn't have any connection with something that came from the refrigerator. And right. if all of a sudden I forgot to use something and it was past the date, I was like, oh gosh darn it! Like there goes seven bucks. And that's how I thought of it. But I remember the <laughs> the first time that. Uh, I had a, it was my first waterfowl, um, that hunt, like successful hunt that I went on and we got home and we, there was a football game, uh, that night that's about an hour and a half drive for us. And so, you know, I cleaned everything up. I put the birds in the fridge, got ready to go. And then we were gone the whole next, um, like the whole next day mm -hmm. on my refrigerator, uh, apparently was broken. I had no idea. And when I got home, it was literally pouring out warm air. Oh my God. So the meat was spoiled and I bawled. I right? bawled I, because I could see the duck. I could, I mean, I was just like, oh my gosh, like I wasted that. It, and it oh my crushed gosh. me. And I just, I don't have that connection with something that I buy from the grocery store. And I'm not saying that's right, um, but I don't. And so for me, it's, it's just made me a lot more conscious of what I eat um, how I use it. You know, we, we prepare food a lot differently. We do a lot of, um, you know, foraging and gardening as well. And so I just think, you know, our diets in general are a lot healthier, um, not necessarily just because of the food itself, but just the thought process that goes into it as well. Um, so I think that that part has probably changed quite a bit of the, the parenting. Yeah. Okay. So what are, what are your son's goals now? 
now that he's embraced the the bird dog world mom's a cool hunting chick and bringing home dinner so he's he's so lucky he um when he was nine i think um he went to our state's um like a big, you know, state meeting with Nebraska Game and Parks Commission, Pheasants Forever. Uh, he won a lifetime hunting permit. Um, so he's got that going. So he had a hunting permit before he loved hunting? <laughs> before, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yes. And then, you know, he he did his hunter, um, his hunter ed this last year. As 12, he could take hunter ed. And so he's completed that. And so we'll see. I mean, he's gone out with a BB gun and learned how to carry a BB gun while we've, you know, went with the dogs. Oh yeah. That's how I started tater bug too. And it's so fun. So cute too. I mean, seriously, it's the cutest little thing, like little red rider out there. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, I think it's good for him to see that. And it also makes him very, uh, aware of, you know, what we're eating, the exercise we're getting, being outdoors, the connection with the dogs. I think it's just cool for him to be a part of all of that. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you too, like with the travel and probably with your office stress, like I don't do well stuck inside. And sometimes it's just getting outside and taking a walk with my dog is literally life-changing. And when you're a hunter and you know what that feeling is, it's like you just absolutely crave it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it, it is hard to put these emotions and like mental health into words for someone that is a anti right so they yeah it's not that they don't do it it's that they don't even believe in it yeah yeah um, it's, yeah that's why i always I always get a little like i'll tell your story it's like ah, do i want to tell my story <laughs> you have to because it's so important for people to know that like for you not to be ashamed i think it's very brave too because you're a poster child of why we work so hard it is and it's i think there's a lot more people out there you know, it's really interesting when I talk about my story or other people talk about their stories that there, there's quite a few people out there that, you know, maybe it's not exactly the same, but there's a a similar thread there. And, you know, I've met women who were vegan um, and now hunt. And I think it's just, I think at the end of the day, it comes to those one-on-one conversations, those personal experiences, that's where we're really going to change. Marketing efforts are super important and communities and super important. But sometimes I think that that just one-on-one, you know, opportunity to sit down and talk to someone is you just can't, you can't put a price on that. I know. And like, I'm such a avid to a supporter because I'm like, I told JC too, I'm like, you're going to, you might just have to stay in DC. And she hates being in the city, loves the, loves the job, hates the city. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, no, like I could not imagine having to look at my dog and be like, life has changed because I, I did a podcast with Stephen Murray and he's in the UK. And we just talked about just the differences in life, yeah. um, you know, with different laws and stuff and how special America is and the, and the freedoms that we have to just literally no regulation. Like, you know, we, we have our limits, but we can go shoot and hunt any day that we want to. We can, you know, we can own every gun that we want. Like it's special and it needs to be celebrated because, oh, we just, I mean, it's such an amazing life that we have. Yeah. I, I loved your comment too about the, when you look at your dog and there's, there's days that you know, sometimes I think I do it for the bird dog and not even for myself. And, for you know, sure. my dogs will be sitting there and they're bored and they need to get out. And it's like, okay, well, we'll go do this. And, um, you know, I think it's it's just an amazing experience for anybody to take part in. Oh, I I agree. And you just need to tell your story to everyone, like and and help us share the benefits of being outdoors. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, one of the things that I always I try to, you know, keep in perspective is that not everybody's gonna be a hunter. And that that's okay as long as they understand how you know, conservation is tightly woven with hunters and how hunters help fund conservation and how they're going to fight to protect those places, those wild spaces where, you know, there's everybody likes clean water and fresh air and 
fish and birds and all of that stuff. And so it's just connecting those dots on how hunters are involved with a huge part of that, uh, keeping those places around. Oh, and I always say that the best people are gun dog people. No matter what kind, <laughs> no matter what they hunt. I mean, I'm I'm even talking about hounds, you know. I if I wasn't an upland or waterfowler, I had a heck of a time chasing bear with hounds. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've done anything any harder ever in West Virginia mountains. And those dogs were so incredible. And um that was a whole new experience. So, I mean, there's other things that I just love hunting with a dog. And I used to be like, you know, uh, I was just like a bird dog person. And then I'm like, nope, I'm a gun dog person. Like I, it's, it's really about the dogs and, and not the, um, harvest. So no matter like what, what we're chasing or whatever, I would love to chase cats with dogs, like hounds, you know, I love the hound life too. So, um, it goes beyond just bird hunting for me. Yeah, it's, I mean, that is, that is why I bird hunt. And, you know, I, when you talked about the, you know, the moment that I decided I was a hunter, I can tell you the exact moment, um, that I decided to bird hunt. And, you know, it was that same, that same cousin who took me on the turkey hunt and he knew my past with working dogs. And I know exactly where I was standing, exactly what I was doing, when he said, you know, uh, as much as you love the outdoors, as much as you love hiking, as much as you love working dogs, this is what you have to try. And that's, I mean, it just fits everything. And I love, I love waterfowl and I love other opportunities to take my, my bird dogs, as you could probably hear them in the back. Yeah. <laughs> They're being very loud. I'm sorry. Um, but I'm a, a very active person. So sitting is very, very challenging for me yeah. as much as I love doing it. And I try to go um, quite a bit, but, uh, you know, walking in the grasslands is that's where it's at for me. And I can oh, walk I for 10 miles and just, you know, if I see a couple birds, it's a successful day for me. Well, you know, I'm from North Georgia. So the only bird hunt we have is preserve hunting, right? And so when I got my dog, I was not a bird hunter when I got a short hair. I just was friends with breeders through the horse world and they had them. And I was like, God, those dogs are so gorgeous. I'm going to get one. Well, I wasn't prepared for a short hair. <laughs> and, um, and they tournament hunted. And so my, I was a tournament hunter before I ever went actual bird hunting. And I was terrible. I was like the worst tournament hunter in the history of tournament hunting. And that, and I'll never forget too, like one day the short hair, it was Mercy. She got out and she just, and I lived in this little Mayberry town. So it was dangerous because it was like all these little streets and neighborhoods and everything right on off Main Street. Quiet town, but it's still dangerous for a dog to run around, right? And I was like, something has to give. She was like six months. And one of those, if you open the door, she's gone to the next county. And so I said, okay, well, she needs a trainer. I don't even know nothing about this whole bird dog training life, but I got to find one. And um, she was sent to Rick Hopkins. And he's like what I call the godfather of the short hairs. <laughs> and, um, and, and he and his wife, Brenda, like taught me so much or just encouraged me to find my own way because it's not been traditional you know I mean like who knew that you as an anti-hunter would end up influencing kids in in an organization that's built by hunters right that's that's life-changing and so really these dogs change people's lives and we hear that over and over and over even though everyone's story is still individualistic yeah no it's amazing I actually just um I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for like saying this before it's out, but I, I just wrote a story in the the Quail Forever magazine that's yeah. coming out on um, women who started upland hunting because of a bird dog. Yeah. And there's a lot of women out there that that's, I mean, we hear about women who got involved with trials, um, whether it's through like NAVDA or mm -hmm. AKC trials, where they're just doing it because their dogs are that breed and yep. the board and they're trying to fulfill their dog's life. And then all of a sudden they realize this is really cool. I really enjoy right. this. Yeah. Well, I committed to the, to shooting instructor for two and a half years, every like five days a week, because I got so addicted. It's yeah. just so easy to get addicted. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, it's, I'm already, it's less than three months away from, uh, 
from prairie grouse hunting in Nebraska. So I'm already in the countdown mode and <laughs> I don't know that if the countdown mode like, ever stops. <laughs> I would love to come out there and do that with you again. It's been a while. I was the sharp tail shootout. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh my gosh. It seemed like everything out there just wanted to bite you or poke. You. <laughs> that's about right. Yep. You know? <laughs> Especially but, the poke part. There's a lot of sharp things out there. <laughs> you know, talking about like the ladies that are getting involved with the dog world. Um, one thing that PFQF and, and at Fest connected me with the group of women like that is there's so many women out there with dogs that are ready to hunt and they don't have the shooting skills. So, and NAVDA is a great example of that because they always have a designated shooter because you're testing your dog and um so i started doing a tour of instruction for those women who like you said like, like they're so hungry to maximize their dog's potential and uh, and to spend as much time with their dog as they can because they know that that life is limited yeah and um yeah so i don't know there's there's so much opportunity out there definitely more than i could ever do on my own uh, but it's been great to get to put my toe like in every little kind of aspect of the bird dog world because it's just brought so much joy in my life to meet so many people like if JC hadn't have been on the board I may not have ever met you and your story is so inspiring and I tell it all the time because Schaefer called me and said Marissa just told her story and you missed it and you're going to love this so much. I'm like, I'm messaging her right now. I told it was a little bit different of a story, um, not directly related to hunting necessarily, but kind of, um, you know, how I found my, my way into the organization. And, you know, it's definitely, I don't think, I know I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for hunting, um, you know, and that's a huge part of it and being able to help, inspire others to hunt and break down those barriers and break down those walls is huge for me. Um, but it's also about, you know, big time, the, the wildlife conservation and, you know, growing up with a family who would garden for monarch butterflies and, you know, other pollinators where that's where I really learned about the impact that people can make, even from a, a small backyard to, you know, huge, you know, public parcels, whatever it may be. Um, but that a single person can truly make a difference if they want to. And it's just, it's, it's super inspiring when you meet some of these people. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to have a grandfather who taught me that at a very young age. Well, nobody thinks about how important the butterfly is. And and I didn't either. And, um, JC was on one of y'all's youth, uh, like weekend or the week long trainings. And, um, they brought in a specialist and and we stayed the, oh, that was just the most fun trip she turned 16 we had to stay an extra day i had to book it home like 16 hours to her home for a family party but she did not <laughs> want to leave that group of people because of the education and the bonds that they build through gaining so much knowledge about the life that they live and when you see this happening between what those kids are what like 14 to 18 yeah. and it's so important for them and then everybody's like crying because they know that they're not going to get to see each other for like months after um because they've grown into some like a lifelong passion together but yeah. somebody came and spoke to them about the monarch butterfly and their um, migration to mexico and stuff and that kid talked about butterflies for six hours straight and i'm like <laughs> I didn't even know you could talk about butterflies for six hours straight. You know, I didn't even know there was enough information, but people have no idea the importance of the butterfly. Yeah. It's, it amazes me. I mean, I, I'm very much submerged in that world. And so to me, it's, it's all consuming. It's all around all the time that I know that, um, you know, we're seeing a, a decline in monarch butterflies. We're seeing a decline in bumblebees. Um, and it's amazing to me when I'm, you know, talk to other people that are even in the conservation space that don't know it. And, you know, it's something that is, is that we do need to share. And people are like, well, why should I care about monarch butterflies? And, you know, really it's just those, those domino effects, you know, the pollinators. So, you know, bees and butterflies and all those other insects, um, when a pheasant or a quail, when they're a chick, you know, that's primarily what they're eating is those soft bodied insects and pollinator habitat makes good brood rearing habitat. So that's where pheasant quail will raise their young other wildlife species as well. 
Um, you know, it's all connected. And so when the butterflies are declining, the bees are declining, then the birds are declining and all just, you know, is interlaced. And, um, you know, it's, it, fortunately there's, there's been, you know, kind of, uh, a reverse where we're starting to see an upward trajectory of the population of butterflies. Um, it's still not where it should be, but I think some of our, our efforts are starting to pay off and, uh, you know, it's pretty cool that you get to see all those dots connected when you, when you work in conservation and you see how, you know, the turkeys are connected to the quail and the deer and the coyotes and all of it. I mean, it's, um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. And I've encouraged, you know, across the country, like people that don't know how to get connected, this information that you're talking about is a constant conversation within your organization. And you guys have chapters everywhere. You've got a website that's full of this same, uh, like super facts. And so it's really easy for people to, to find the information once they're pointed in the right direction. Um, but I say to every person that's like, either either started taking a shotgun lesson for me or something's like find a pf or qf chapter depending on where you live and just get involved because sometimes it kind of is hard to get in a group or feel you feel like an outsider because there's so much information here um and people just need to be encouraged that this is a welcoming group of people you just got to get your foot in the door you just got to show that you're hungry for more and that you want to learn about it and you want to become better um and it's just so easy to find your independence yeah I and mean, we've got chapters all across the country both pheasants forever and quail forever and if there's not a chapter that's a really awesome opportunity for somebody to find a couple of individuals that they're friends with or that are interested in the same things and start one um you know like you said it's our, a lot of our information is on pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org. Um, but we have women on the wing chapters too now, where it's entirely, you know, women putting together these chapters, or we've got women that are um, creating kind of like subcommittees within traditional chapters. So we're seeing a lot of increase in those opportunities too. Um, so depending on, you know, what somebody's looking for, there's there's options out there for you. Yeah. And those requirements are actually fun. Like they're pretty much just social events yes. and, um, and fundraising. So the requirements of those aren't as demanding, I think, as people think until they grow so big that, <laughs> that you're having to plan for more people. Of course, that's going to make things um, a bigger job, but really it's awesome to, that the organization literally just encourages people to get together and celebrate the lifestyle. I think the, coolest thing. And, you know, obviously I'm going to tout things when I work for the organization, but even as a bystander, not working for the organization, it's, you know, we are a grassroots model. And so when chapters raise funds locally within that chapter, they decide how those funds are spent. So they can see their efforts, um, you know, and fund local projects so that they can actually, you know, witness the the impact that they're having. Um, you know, it's it's pretty amazing model that I think just really kind of sets us apart and makes us unique. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And then the it's welcoming for families. Like this um, this organization is definitely a family structured, um, or whether it's for Pheasant Fest or chapter events. You know, it's always so welcoming for the kids. Yeah, it, you know, so just to share a little bit, um, kind of a sneak peek on what we're we're working on with Journey to Conservation Careers too, um, you know, as we've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, how do we reach more people with hunting? And one of the things that I think is so important with young professionals that are starting off in a career in conservation is that they understand the importance of hunters and how hunting funds conservation. And unless somebody has been exposed to that, they just don't, they're not aware of it until they get into that space. And then a lot of times they're fortunately will learn it. Um, so we're working on a program for high school students who are interested in a career in conservation. And part of that course, it's an online course through um, Bellevue University is they actually learn, you know, conservation past, present and future. How, how is conservation funded? How can you impact it? How are hunters involved? What's the history of hunting in this country? And, you know, talk about duck stamps and all of those things that, you know, we that's can... not, that's way more important for 
society, not just high school kids. There's so many, so many adults need this information. Yeah. So I, we're really excited. It's, it's not, uh, we're in the pilot phase of it right now. So it'll be available to the public in 2023, but it's, um, it's something that, you know, we're really passionate about and, um, you know, our organization has, Oh, over, over 200 wildlife biologists is probably more than that. We have over 400 staff across the country and we're um, second to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service with how many biologists are employed across the country. So that's a lot of impact that we can have for habitat and wildlife conservation. And so just helping to provide that education for that next generation is really important. I agree. And how many of those biologists that come in end up having a very similar experience that you've had. I mean, I've heard a lot of them. Yeah, it's amazing to me. And it's, you know, a lot of them, it's like, well, if somebody would have just asked me, I would have done it. So like, we need to just ask people more often. And, to go hunting. Yeah. And even, you know, like I said, sometimes that can be a little overwhelming for somebody if they've never handled a gun before. Um, you know, so that's why I always just say, like, just come walk with me and my dogs. I'll carry my gun, I'll hunt, but you, you know, I'll talk to you about how to walk safely with me and, you know, get you set up with all your gear, but just come with me and see what you think. And then we'll go from there. So from a hunter's perspective, which I don't have all the knowledge that you have, right. As a biologist, right. Or like the biologist on staff, it blows my mind that they don't understand and the, like the importance of the hunter. You know, that from, from a hunter's perspective, there's there's gaps in this communication and understanding because it's like they know even more than I do. I just love it because it's an emotional thing, right? Like hunting becomes an emotional thing to a hunter unless they choose to educate themselves about the conservation side because not all hunters understand that. They just love it and they just pay their dues and they know it's going for a good cause. And that's the end of their knowledge. But when you've got somebody that has the knowledge, it's like, how in the heck are you not one of us? Yeah, I mean, it's the same it, on both sides, right? Like you get a disconnect from both. So you get... Uh, hunters that are out there and they're doing great things and they're enjoying it, but they don't understand how their dollars are impacting conservation. They don't understand the big picture. Not that they necessarily need to, but it's like amazing what they're doing and they're not aware of it. And then right. on the flip side, you have individuals who want to make a difference on the landscape. They want to, you know, impact habitat and conservation but they have no idea how the hunters funds and everything that they're doing connects to it too. So there's, it's, it's definitely, you know, there's a disconnect and it's like, how do you provide that education? And so again, like, even if not everybody wants to be a hunter, okay, that's fine. Um, but they're, but we're all on the same team and they don't even know it. <laughs> they're advocating for, for hunters and for, you know, those practices that are going to impact conservation, they're understanding. And it's just finding that like, you know, the common ground, we're all in it for the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, we just come from different directions at it. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. But it, it has been like something that I've wanted to share so much because there's so many hunters that either get complacent or caught up in their bubble and they don't understand how their lifestyle would impact a lot of what's going on in the nation if they shared their life. You know, if, the, if they just reached out to somebody that wasn't like them, right, just take somebody that's not like you and and create a bridge of common ground. Yeah, that's we say that all the time. Take, take somebody who doesn't look like you. Yeah. Uh, take and, somebody completely different out there and, you know, expose them to it because they may have just never been asked before and that's all they're waiting for. Right. And so us as hunters or like Second Amendment, pro-Second Amendment people, conceal carriers all these things like we at times have to be put in situations to walk in other people's shoes right like we went to dc we can't take our guns there okay so i've been put in a situation outside of my norm outside of the life that i ch choose to live because of law so i've walked in their shoes and i couldn't wait to get back to mine you know what i'm saying and so it's like, okay, well, one day just come walk in my shoes for one day, just like I've done for you. You know, you're going to survive it. It's going to be okay. And just see what it's like. It's Yeah. You know, we have one of the things that we're, um, you know, really, I'm trying to think of how many years now, I think it's in its third year, uh, we've got a, a hunter mentor pledge and, you know, it's to try and encourage hunters to, um, 
you know, just take a little bit of time out of their schedule every season, take somebody new, um, you know, there's incentives for the both of them to sign up for this pledge. And because it's, it comes down to that one-on-one connection, that mentorship, that social support, and just, again, like, just ask somebody and you never mm-hmm. know what they're going to say. And so we've had a lot of success with that program. Um, you can find more information about that on our website too, under the hunting tab and, you know, just encouraging more hunters to kind of step out of maybe um, their typical comfort zone. Um, potentially, you know, if they like to just kind of go out and do their thing, just taking a little bit of time and taking somebody else new with you because you, you have no idea what kind of impact. I mean, look at the difference it's made in my life and, you know, I turned around and decided that not only am I going to hunt, I'm going to make my entire life about wildlife conservation and helping others hunt. And so you just never know what kind of impact that could have on a single person. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm with you because I was a hunter, but I wanted to be in residential construction and then I got a dog and then all of a sudden I'm like, Nope, we're going to figure this out and we're going to be in the shooting world for forever. And I never want to take a day off. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It it is life changing and it just, it's one of those things where you just want to grab people and be like, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, pick those days where we, I mean, we all have hunted through miserable weather and situations that like we, we go through because we love it. Um, but you know, find days that maybe aren't the miserable weather for a, a mentee, <laughs> you know, take them out on a duck hunt and let them see the sunrise over the water. Or, you know, in the turkey woods and watching the sunrise. I mean, those are the moments that like, you just, pictures don't do them justice. Videos don't do them justice. You have to experience that self, that experience for yourself. And it's just life-changing. It is. Um, There's, there's nothing like it. So. Well, I'm so thankful that you are investing in the youth and in bringing more women into our industry. It's important because I was talking with uh, Amber with McKenna Quinn. And I'm like, if we just could have more women, we could have more options in the field. <laughs> you know, like, we, could have, we could have a better closet if we had a bigger demand. You know? <laughs> so like my motives are, are off a little bit, but I mean, it's, it's true. I, I have had this conversation so many times. Like I just went an entire season and besides going to a tournament, um, I was the only female hunting. Yeah. It's still, it's definitely a growing demographic. It's a rapidly growing demographic. Um, But one of the things that we struggle with um, that we're seeing from the R3, so um, just for those who don't know, Recruit, Retain, and Reactive Age is this um, initiative that is going on across the country to help um, increase the number of hunter participants that we have, because that's, that's a number that's been on the decline. And, you know, women are one of the fastest growing demographics in hunting but they're also one of the quickest to leave. And I think a lot of that boils down to social support and um, they're interested, they maybe start, but then there's not necessarily somebody that they have to continue with them or they're looking for that community that we've talked about that's so important. And so I think if we can continue to work on building that community, whether it's through, you know, women on the wing chapters, traditional chapters, um, you know, hunting trials and events and all of those things create community. And so we need, desperately need new individuals to kind of step up into some of those roles um, and, you know, be those mentors and be those um, passionate individuals that take part in chapters and volunteer efforts and things like that to make sure that we're not losing that community. And I think we're just going to continue to not only see an increase in hunters, but we're going to see them staying too. And then oh, those yeah. hunters are going to mentor other hunters. And that's, that's where that impact is really going to make a difference. Yeah. So if there's anybody listening and you haven't found like the biggest fulfillment of your life, you might want to reach out to Marissa and say, how do I get involved? Because there's nothing more fulfilling than, than helping somebody else find their life's passion. Agree. Agree. I mean, it's one of the things that I love to say is that, you know, I've, so I've shot my first bird, you've shot your first bird. But when you take somebody and they shoot your first bird, their first bird, you're a part of that memory with them for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's so impactful. Like goosebumps again. Like I get so (laughs) excited when you take someone and they have that moment because that's life changing. And you, you helped do that. You made that possible. 
Yeah, and it's not easy. And that's the thing, like upland hunting, it's it's not super easy. And and depending on what bird you're chasing, man, it could be extremely tough. And the hours that I've put into the grouse woods, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, it's like I'm not a big game hunter. Like I I don't I don't have the patience to sit in a deer stand or whatever. And so when I found bird hunting, when it's social and it's a super active and you have your dog there i mean granted it's hard because you have more responsibility you got to take care of more things but um boy i i fell in love with grouse hunting in the north woods oh I, and i will never forget like the day that i got my limit was like I felt like I won the lottery ticket, and I don't know if this will ever happen again. You know, it's just like, it was one of those magical moments. It was like, how in the world did I just see this many birds in one pass? You know, I'm like, I quit now. I've achieved everything in life I could have ever imagined. And it was like, that dog had just to be the best dog in the whole wide world. You know, I mean, you know, you think like that when it was probably just more coincidental or whatever, but you have those moments where it was like, man, I was on fire. This is the best gun. And my dog's the best dog in the whole wide world, you know, and everybody has those stories. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's amazing. And I will say it is, um, I, I still to this day, I'm just a terrible shot. You know, I just, <laughs> but we can fix that. You don't, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. Um, but you know, one of my favorite things about upland hunting is, you know, I'm a mom and life is challenging, you Mm -hmm. know, for everybody for different reasons. And I can on a whim 10 o'clock in the morning, say, I'm going to load up my dogs and go, you know, it's like, I don't necessarily have to plan it the night before and wake up early and have a bunch of gear. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. They're just different things, but that's the flexibility of upland hunting. I mean, Mm -hmm. granted, if I want to go far away, things like that, it's a little different, but even in Omaha, Nebraska, I can get to one of my favorite spots in 45 minutes. So, you know, I'll just be like, I'm just going to go for a hunt over lunch and I'll go do that. And I just, I think that's one of 5 million, 500 million reasons why upland hunting is the best. (laughs) I do too. And I get, I get so engulfed in the traditions of it. And um, the old school thing, because, you know, like I'm a hat lover and that came from, you know, just growing up, you know, living this cowgirl life or whatever. And then. I'll never forget, I was shooting for CZ, and I felt like, because I had started shooting sporting clays before I really sold out to upland hunting, um, that I, I was like into all the sporty clothes, right? So so when I went to work and we were doing um, some type of demo booth or something at some tournament, uh, you know, clay tournament, I felt like, you know, that's the image that I had to have when I'd go right back home and like be in boots and jeans and my cowgirl hat again. And I'll never forget the first time that I drove to an event and I pulled up and I had my straw hat sitting on my dash. And Miller was like, is that your hat? I'm like, yeah, like that's who I am when I go home. Right. Because I felt like it was like two different lives or whatever. And he's like, you need to be wearing that. And so I did. And then all of a sudden it's like people would come and say, where's that chick with a hat? She was telling me about this gun and I don't remember which gun it was and stuff. And then it was like overnight that became like my identity, um, you know, in the, in the shotgun world. And so um, I love that because how many times people have their grandpa's hat and they just like cherish these things, you know, or grouse camp. Is there a grouse camp that doesn't have a hat hanging on the wall? I'm not sure there is, you know. And so I really became attached to that part of um, of my life because it's always been something that I cherished. And so not just the guns, the guns get handed down, the the vests get handed down, you know. And w- in the upland world, it's not like we have the bands like they're so cherished in the waterfowl world, um, you know. So we have a different items that, and so that's really where my whole love for bringing an outdoor hat into the upland world was like you know life is and traditions are changing and so the way that our grandpa did things isn't the way that people do things today and i didn't want to lose that right and it's 
there, you know, coming from a, a non-traditional background too, and not having, um, you know, some of those traditions, there's so many neat things that you can make your own tradition and kind of be that person to start it. So that generations that follow, yeah. uh, I mean, I've got goofy traditions where, you know, I'll, I hunt the sand hills every year for prairie grouse. It's, it's my favorite place to be. Oh my gosh. With all the spurs. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> I'll find box turtles every time. In fact, one of my dogs now points them even, I should discourage her, but I love it. And, uh, you know, so every year I take a picture with the box turtle and that's my tradition. And (laughs) we have- You're not not quitting until you find your box turtle. That's so funny. (laughs) You know, there's a, we eat Casey's pizza for breakfast every time. You're not not a legit bird hunter unless you're eating Casey's pizza. I don't think you're a legit hunter, period. (laughs) Or person, come on, everybody has to have Casey's. It's so good. I know. I know there really isn't anything. We got out of um, Snow Goose Camp in Iowa, and I told the guys, I was like, get me to Casey's. Like, it, we froze. It was so cold, and, and it's like the best thing in the world. You could you could put a five-star meal out there, and it would be the same. You know, it's just like I don't understand what is so good about Casey's Pizza after a long day hunting. But but I think some of it is that tradition. It's like, yeah. okay, we, we had this – you know, hunt and this is part of it. And it's just like, you know, especially if it is something that you only do or do very rarely, unless it's that situation, it's a treat and it's fun. And so this, this next season, everybody that goes to Casey's, you guys have to tag me and Marissa. We're going to start, we're going to start a whole tradition there. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So what's next on your bucket list? Cause you have, you've literally just changed your life, you know, and so what's the next thing that you want to conquer are we talking hunting or yeah just in life like you're 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 submerged in the in the uplands so what is it i would say well my number one thing on my my list to hunt um for birds would be a ptarmigan and you know i hear that they're not really a challenge to hunt but for me it's more the landscape it's Mm -hmm. that you know high elevation um getting kind of out in the middle of nowhere some of the last remaining true wild places in my mind um where you can't hear or see anybody for as far as you can look a fairy um, tale location yeah, yeah you know that's and ideally i'd love to go to alaska and do it uh, more than likely i'll probably stick to colorado or somewhere else for now but ultimate would be to go to alaska and, and hunt for ptarmigan and fly fish for for arctic grayling uh, because they're one of my absolute favorite fish so that's high on the list and then someday i want to write a book that's that's going to happen someday what it'll write, be about i don't write know a book yeah I, I've started one about the first 90,000 miles that I did trekking. I mean, I had no idea. I was telling somebody, too, like, my first pheasant hunt was, I'm pretty sure, was filming gun dog TV. And I had my dogs out there. Like, who let me do that? You know, who who said, yeah, let's let Anna turn her dogs loose. She's never even been out here before. She never left the South. And... And we're going to put it on camera. I don't know. I guess they thought it would be very entertaining. But I don't know if anybody could tell I'd I'd never been out there. But, you know, like, it is crazy the things that you get into. And I tell people all the time, and it's the same story of your life. There's nothing special about my story. The only thing is I never said no. I just, if a door opened, I was like, okay, well, just like filming Gundog TV the very first time. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to have a heck of a time doing it and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to learn something every single time I walk through another door. And and it it's just been the best journey. I'm just so glad that I never said no. Yeah, but I think that ambition, right? Like not everybody has that same ambition and um, that's okay. You know, not everybody wants to have that, but I do think that when you want something and you go after it, even if you're not sure at the time you want it or not. Yeah, I'm, I had no idea, yeah. but I wanted yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. It just sounded like a good time. <laughs> but those are the moments that change everything. You know, yeah. you just, you don't even know. You look back and you thought your life was going in one direction. All of a sudden you took a right turn this direction. And, um, you know, it's just amazing what can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because nobody in my family had ever been, you know, a shotgunner. Nobody had a bird dog. Nobody was a bird hunter. And I found this on a whim by accident. And then, and then I tell people, I'm like, 
it's almost like it was just my calling because I don't think I could have done anything else and been this fulfilled. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think that we all have a place in this world and we may find it when we're really young or we may find it when we're really old or somewhere in the middle, but I think we all find it someday. Mm -hmm. I agree. I know. And I just love this and I love celebrating your story and the fact that you've had such an impact on my kid and I, and I know how special that program is and the family atmosphere of it is it's um, I encourage everybody to get involved when you're raising kids in the outdoors, you can't do it by yourself. And there's so much help out there that it makes the experiences so much better. Yeah. Well, JC impacted my life too. So there's great kids. The, the feeling is mutual. Yeah. Those Upland kids are, those are a special group of kids. They are, they are, yeah. they, they go above and beyond and they're, their level of dedication for conservation is second to none. Oh, okay. So with all American Upland on the all American wing shooting podcast, I always say like, what is your perspective of like the heart of the all American? Cause now, I mean, you're very unique in the fact that you've walked, you know, two sides of the story. And so like, what is that to you? Oh, that's a tough question. Oh, you stumped me. I'm not on here to talk about shooting tips and dog training tips. I love the heart of the American hunter. I love leaving camp feeling so overwhelmed. I, I have, I have just thanked Jesus from Nebraska to Georgia, just, and I didn't even, um, like there was, there was days that we didn't even see birds. And I'm like, I've just had the time of my life. Like this is the biggest blessing of my life to get to experience this. And that was the heart. So yeah. like, you know, like, what is it? What is yours? I think it's, it's those, it's those places that you find and sometimes unintentionally, you know, it's that willingness to, to get lost and find these wild places where I don't feel like there's anybody around me. I feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by wildlife, surrounded by open space. Um, and that's where I just feel at home, you know, mm -hmm. and up on hunting, hunting in general has introduced me to places I never would have gone. Even though I was outdoorsy, I wouldn't have walked the sand hills. I wouldn't walk through tall grass prairies where there's no paths or anything, you know, if it wasn't for upland hunting. And I have just found the most remarkable places because of it and and seeing things that I never would have seen before if it weren't for it made friends that I wouldn't have you know before um but ultimately it's and I love to hunt by myself I love people I love the social aspect but at the end of the day hunting by myself is my favorite and it's because when I'm out there I feel so connected to everything even though I'm by myself oh I love it I love it. And we can all identify, even though it all, you know, may, we may have a different answer. I just, I love talking about that. And I think that's what's going to keep it alive is, is this really talking about the thing that drives us to keep going and to keep coming back and the countdown calendars and all that thing. It's, it's beyond our shooting skills. It's beyond our dog titles. And um, so that's where that's where the importance lies for me. And I'm so grateful that you joined me today. It was so good to see you. No, you too, Anna. It was wonderful to see you and always exciting to be able to talk to you. So if people want to reach out to you directly because of what you're involved with or like how would you um, encourage others to get involved with all the things that you're promoting? Yeah. So the easiest way is probably to shoot me an email. Um, so Marissa Jensen, and it's M Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N at pheasantsforever.org. Um, or you can just go on to our website, pheasantsforever.org or coilforever.org. And there's a contact us and um, you can get a hold of me through there. And, you know, the other thing I would say is just, you know, become a member. It's $35 and that makes a huge impact on everything that we're able to do. And more importantly, it gets you connected with what's happening on the local level. Get involved with a chapter, be a part of that social support, be a part of that community, ask somebody new to go hunting with you. Um, the impact that a single person can have is 
larger than life. So just take the time to uh, try and be that impact for someone. Okay. So when you have new stuff going on, we want to hear about it. So check back in and let us know when, um, when you think there's important things that the world should know about these new programs coming out. I'm really excited about a high school program. And I know that there's going to be families all over the country that are going to want their kids involved. Yeah, I, well, yeah. that's our hope. So yeah. um, I'd love it for my email to be flooded with inquiries. So for sure, uh, and I will absolutely share more when we have more information as well. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Anna. Talk soon. I guess that's something you don't understand.